0: Very interesting. We had a lot of fun with that because we had a lot of interaction going on. And uh, it's basically on how to get rooted, is what we're talking about. And to get rooted and built up, you really do need to study your Bible, not just read it as a novel, but to actually study it. And tonight we're getting to the second part of how do you grow spiritually, how do you get rooted and built up, and that is through prayer. So tonight we're going to be talking about what is prayer, how important is prayer. Uh, to be built up. How do we do about, go about doing all this? And that's where we're going to be talking tonight and going through this. So with that, now we know what our topic is. And just to let you know that next week is the last one of these. Sadness, sorrow. It's hard to believe. But um, yeah, next week will be the last of this series. And next week, um, next Sunday night, we'll be talking about um, being in a community, how important that is to being built up And uh, established in our faith also in spiritual growth. And next week we will be having a communion service in here during the Sunday night thing. We generally do one every single summer. And normally we do it in the middle of the summer, but it really fit with the topic that I'm doing next week. So that's why we're doing that. So with that, I almost feel like I need to take a stapler and staple this to my head. But (laughs) anyway, this microphone seems to be floating around. But Oh well, we'll get through this. Let's open in prayer we'll get started, okay? Father God, we come before you and we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity of serving you and to bring in glory to your name. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us all here, the summer staff here to serve. Again, to add to your kingdom, to glorify your name. And we thank you for those who are listening, both in the audience tonight and those who are listening um, on the internet in this series also. And we ask that you would just bless us, that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would teach us as we explore this mysterious communicative device called prayer. Help us to see things clearly, and Lord, may your Spirit continue even afterwards to teach us and inspire us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we get started with this, Um, we're going to be talking about prayer. Prayer is an interesting topic. Anyway, as we talk about prayer and get into prayer and stuff like that, tonight I want to talk about, first of all, one of the major things is what is prayer. Um, Now, I think most people know that prayer is basically talking to God, but is there a format to it? Is there a special way of doing it? What does the Bible say about it? There is so much I would love to spend time with you talking on this subject. Back in the 1990s, when I was um, leading a youth group down in Illinois over a series of time, I actually did a series on prayer, which encompassed about 12 lessons, 12 45-minute lessons. And it was a fascinating thing as I studied what prayer was and having fun doing this and how um, all the different things. And boy, I've learned so much. That was in the 90s and how much more I've learned. I wish I could spend days and days and days going through this topic with you. It's a great topic. Um, Prayer, And there's a lot in the Bible that talks about what prayer is. It's in both Testaments. You see it both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matter of fact, some people I know, some some, uh, very good Christian friends of mine have made a Bible study on it. They have actually done a topical study just on prayer. Um, studying the different prayers that you find in the Bible. There's quite a bit that are like that. John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. We know this from the Scripture. In the book of Luke, it says this. And also, Jesus' disciples asked him um, to teach them also how to pray. So this is something that's really important, because Jesus actually went through a lot to teach us about prayer also. So we do see these things. Now, for instance, in Luke 11, verse 1, using the English Standard Version, which is a word-for-word translation, It says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. So here's the disciples of Jesus also asking the same question, how to pray. Now these are Jews, you must remember too. And these are Jews that have been brought up in the synagogue system, which we'll talk about in a little bit here. So prayer was a part of life, but here they they felt, obviously they felt some inadequacy on how to pray. So they were asking John the Baptist, now they're asking the Lord Jesus himself. How do you pray? What can you tell us? What can you teach us? So what is this mysterious engagement? What is this uh, puzzling thing? Um, about prayer there was a person who just ran just ran into me outside the doors here as we're coming into the building asked me what I'm speaking on tonight and I said prayer and I love the response what is that? so that is a question that's still around even to this day what is it? I mean we know it's important do we not? Because Paul told us, how many times, to pray without stopping, to pray without ceasing. Look at this passage here, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16, 17, and 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Also, we see in Ephesians, during the chapter on the armor of God, that actually it's often overlooked. This is one of the weapons we have in our arsenal in the armor of God. Most people just seem to stop when they get to the uh, helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, but then there's another part, and it says to pray. Look what it says here. In Ephesians 6, 16 through 18, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now get how this concludes praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. So we're actually told it's part of our armament. It's part of our our defense. It's part of our offensive nature to fight battles and stuff. Prayer is very important. It's part of the armor of God. Also in Romans 12, 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation. Get this, be constant in prayer. So praying all the time, not just uh, when you get up in the morning or um, just at your meal time when you say, you know, um, what is the old-fashioned, like, prayer for a meal? Uh, God, is, you know, God is great. That's the one you say before you go to bed at night. What is it? Um, not rub-a-dub-dub. Thank you. Thanks for the grub. Yay, God. There's, there's, uh, what was it? Bless us, O Lord. Okay, there's another one. Someone else was saying one over here. God is good. God is great. I mean, there's a bunch of little prayers. There's a whole pile of these. And the thing is, it says to be in constant prayer. Not just at, like at nighttime when we're going to bed either. Constant. What does that mean? I will explain that. Because it's actually not a difficult concept once you understand what they're talking about. Now, as I have said basically all summer, and this is so important, to grow spiritually, to get rooted, to be well-established, but to grow spiritually, you have to study, not just read, you have to study the Word of God. Last was last week's lesson, to study it. As you study it, you also need praying. Prayer is very important. So reading his 66 love letters to us, what we call the Bible, is very important because you've got to know who to communicate to. Matter of fact, I would say that that's the most important, is to study the Word of God, which we talked about last week. It is so important for us to know who God is and to read and study these love letters so we can know who we are talking to in this marriage relationship, as we've talked about before, we are in with him. Then prayer is also very important. You've got to have the communication going. Since this is a marriage, communication is very important. We need to pray. So praying is also very, very important in this relationship that we have in this marriage God that Christians are. As Christians, we are the bride. It's a marriage relationship, so we have to communicate, and this is where prayer is coming in, and prayer is so important. Now, prayer is a topic that is covered extensively, as I said, in the Bible. You find it all through. You'll see prayer in the Old Testament books. You see it in the New Testament books, but the Jews were very familiar with prayer, with this form of communication. They really understood this. And the disciples frequently saw Jesus praying. Uh, For instance, in Mark chapter 1, verse 35, it says, And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, that is Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. When he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, he goes to pray. He's with his disciples, and he's praying. Sometimes by himself, but they know he is going off and doing this, sometimes in their presence. So he is often... At the raising of Lazarus, Jesus offered a prayer for the Jewish leaders to be able to hear. So Jesus was constantly doing this. The Jews knew that it's important to do. They were raised with this, and Jesus did it frequently, so they know that this is important. Disciples now, being Jewish, since they are Jewish, grew up in a Jewish perspective on prayer. Now, we often don't think as first century Jews, what prayer and what their life was like. So that's one thing I love to study, and that's one thing that we do on my Israel trips. Those who have been with us, there's a few of you in here have been with me on my Israel trip in the past. We teach ancient Jewish culture while we're there to help us understand what's going on. But the Jews, like these disciples and stuff, they grew up in these synagogues, and they knew about prayer. And prayer was a special thing. Jews knew that they had the right, the right to pray to God and it was a rite. And they also believed that when they did pray to God, that God would hear their prayers. So sitting in a synagogue, this is a synagogue here at Herodium, sitting here in a synagogue, there would be prayers that would be offered, and they know that God is going to hear them. Where do they get this from? Well, one of the many verses about that comes from Psalm 65, uh, verse 2. It says, you who, oh you who hear prayer, talking about God. God does hear our prayers. So we know that they do this. This is, again, another picture of a synagogue. This is a Chorazin. And I think I just, there we go. We're having some technical difficulty here. But that's uh, another place, another synagogue. Um, but the thing is, the way that the Jews did it is a little different than the way we think about and the way that the pagans did, who were Gentiles and stuff like this. The Jews did it a little different. Pious Jews following God's directive. You see the pagans would badger God their gods they would just go and they would start just um, making all sorts of complaints. They would go on for hours just repeating the same thing over and over and over. Ritualistic things just keep chanting the same thing over and over and over. That's what they were used to doing. Sometimes screaming, sometimes they would be cutting themselves with, with blades, swords, daggers, and things like this. Trying to get the gods to listen to them and stuff like that. A classic case of this, uh, showing how the pagans prayed, is right in the Bible also in the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, 26-29. The famous encounter with Elijah at Mount Carmel against the prophets of Baal and Asherah. And it reads, And they took the bull that was given them, and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us! But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, get this now. They raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered, no one paid attention. You see how the pagans are praying? They're constantly reciting, constantly going over, doing these chants and stuff like this. Also, uh, cutting themselves and things during this process. But that's what the pagans were doing. Greeks did the same thing. The Romans did the same thing. They would often just keep badgering the gods until they would get an answer. And they would just keep reciting things over and over and over and over and over. That's what was going on. This is not the way the Jewish did it. Jesus actually addresses this type of praying. Um, when he's talking in Matthew, when he's getting into the passage on the Lord's Prayer, he gives some instructions. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, look what Jesus says. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. What Jesus is saying here, don't do what the pagans and what the hypocrites and stuff constantly do. What they would do is they'd go into the synagogue, some of them would stand up, and they would just constantly say the same things over and over. And at other times, they'd be out in the street corners and stuff. Matter of fact, you can sometimes still see this in Jerusalem today. You can sometimes come across someone doing this type of activity. This still goes on. Well, what Jesus is saying here, it's really interesting, about standing up and making a big show of your prayer. I remember back in Illinois when I was, before I came here to Fort and I was um, an elder at my church, a person came up to me um, because I had asked them to pray one time in church service. And afterwards they came up and they said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really very uncomfortable in praying out loud in a church service. I said, why? And they said, because I'm not very eloquent. I can't really get those nice words like the pastor can do and and other people can do and stuff like this. I I just can't find the the right words. My prayers are so simple and stuff. I'm, I'm really apprehensive about doing that. And what I said to them was, that's the perfect, what you do is the perfect kind of prayer because it's not showy. You're just saying exactly what's in your heart. That's what we want. You don't have to be all extravagant and stuff like this. Jesus, matter of fact, goes against this kind of thing. All this showiness and stuff. And ranting and reciting the same things over and over and over. That's not the way. Because that's what was being done by hypocrites and the heathens and stuff like this. That's what was taking place during the first century. And not just then, but a lot of the ancient history and stuff. Look what else he told his disciples about praying. In Matthew 6, 6, the very next verse, he says, But when you pray... Go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I'm sure we're all familiar with this. Actually, this comes back from Daniel. If you'll recall the story of Daniel, when Daniel would pray, he would go into his room, he would open up the windows facing Jerusalem, he would get down on his knees, and he would pray. And he would do it in the privacy of his room. So Jesus is actually going along that line of what Daniel was talking about, to do this. Now, this is actually, we don't think much of this, but if you have ever, and I know many of you have probably, who are listening to me, have been to Israel, and if you've seen Jewish homes from the first century, um, this means something a little different. Because to be in your home, shut the door and pray, is a little little, uh, different than what we see. The reason is because first century Jewish homes were not very big. They were tiny. Particularly for the fishermen and stuff up in Galilee, where Jesus did most of his ministry, the homes were very small. I'm showing a picture here of a typical small Jewish home at the time of Christ in Capernaum. And it's very small very confined. There's very little privacy in these. It's just stone walls. Um, There's a little small courtyard and a couple of rooms, and there would have been an upstairs um, that they would have had here to go on. Here's another picture showing in Capernaum. um, uh, The area back in here is a Jewish home. This is a courtyard here, and there's a few rooms here. There's not a lot of rooms. Um, Here's another one. This is actually the synagogue of Capernaum, um, showing again a small Jewish home in here right outside the synagogue. Not very large. Here's some other ones. Showing these have small rooms; these houses, tiny rooms. Uh, They're not very big, and so Jesus is saying to people, "Go into the privacy of your house, and this is where you pray and talk to your Father this way." So that's what he's talking about. So it's a little different than what we often think. Going into your home and the privacy of your home; these are small, tiny little homes, and you don't have a whole lot of privacy in these. Now, the, the the Jewish Talmud. The Talmud is the ancient Jewish book of teachings. Uh, You can download these often online, or you can buy a set on Amazon or something like that. The Talmud has a lot of the Jewish laws and and comments on laws and and how to do things. Some of the writings in here are so bizarre, but some of them are right on with what Scripture says. And there's a large amount of topic in the Talmud that talks about prayer. Um, Prayers were to be constant, for one thing. Doesn't that sound like what Paul was saying? Pray without ceasing? says in the Talmud that prayers should be constant Um, and not, not a cry of desperation. That's not found in the Talmud either. Um, Prayer was a little different in in this. And uh, Jesus is now going to teach some things, but I want to show you what the Talmud actually teaches before we get into what Jesus does, because Jesus gives us, the disciples, a great outline on how to pray. We call it the Lord's Prayer. But before I get to that, I want to tell you what's in the Talmud. Now, Jesus was a rabbi. Rabbis would be familiar with the Talmud. And sometimes Jesus is knocking the Talmud. Sometimes he's actually saying what the Talmud says also. So sometimes he's saying things that the Talmud has. Well, let's go through some of these things. There's about eight things here in the Talmud, just briefly, I'm going to show you, that are taught to Jews in the synagogues about prayer. Number one, prayer should incorporate love and praise to God. That's one of the most important things. Prayer should be praising God. It's not a shopping list, even to them. It's a a sign of love, devotion, and praise to God. That's the first thing. Second, prayer should incorporate gratitude and thanksgiving. That is an important part also of prayer, that we give thanks for what God has blessed us with. So that's an important thing taught right out of the Talmud. You'll see that both of these are right here in the Lord's Prayer also as we get to it. Uh, a third thing, prayer should acknowledge God's holiness. This is again found in the Lord's Prayer, but it's right here. Prayer should acknowledge God's holiness. Too often today, in our world today, we are so focused on God is love, which has also been used by human secularists to focus a lot on sins that people are now doing today because they're saying, well, God, it's okay as long as we love. God is a God of love and he'll overlook everything because God is a God of love. And that is what a lot of people teach today, and that's what a lot of people like to hear. But the thing is, we often forget something else about God. I had a discussion with a person this summer on this who was saying, well, God is a God of love, and it doesn't matter really what you do, as long as you, you love God and you love your neighbor, that's all. And I was like, do you realize that God is holy? The best description you can come of to describe who God is, what God is like, is holiness. Theologians who generally cannot agree on the color of an orange will almost always agree on the best description of God as holy. And that's what he is. Because he is holy, he is just. Yes, God is a God of love. No doubt about it. But we've focused so much on that, we have sort of lost that God is holy. And also, as it says in Leviticus and again in 1 Peter, God tells us to be holy because he is holy. Jesus' message was primarily one of repentance, not just of go live your life however you want. When he came across sin, he would tell people after he would heal them and do miracles with them and stuff like that, go and sin no more. There was a repentance to it because God is a God of holiness. So this was taught also in the Talmud. The fourth one, prayer should uh, should express a desire to obey God. That sort of goes into the last one. Since God is holy, we're supposed to be holy also. At least attempt to be holy. Thus, we need to obey God. And Jesus, at the Last Supper, was telling his disciples in chapter 14, you, want to, you say you love me, you want to love me, then do what I say. Keep my commandments. That's what he's saying. Obey me. It's so important. Um, the fifth one here, prayer should incorporate confession for sins. Yes, when we mess up, we need to sin. Are you seeing yet the parallels between this and the Lord's Prayer? Lord's prayer is just following all this. Jesus is taking the Lord's prayer and picking up things from the Talmud teachings, plus which are also found in Scripture, and he's using this to teach with. But that's what this is. Prayer should incorporate a confession of sin. When we realize we have done something wrong, then we need to come to Christ. Now, sometimes uh, it's hard to put our feelings into words. <laughs> I was talking to a person this past winter who came up to me, thought this was sort of interesting, because I speak to a lot of high school groups and, and adult groups in the wintertime here, and a person came up and said to me, I'm not sure I'm a Christian. I asked, why do you doubt your Christianity? I'm just, just curious. I don't know if them. They're just here for a weekend. I don't know them hardly at all. So I asked, well, why, what makes you think you're not a Christian? And I mean, at first I asked them, "Well, why do you think you are a Christian?" Because they said, "Well, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I've committed my life to Him, and um, you know, He is my Lord and Savior." Well, that's great. Why do you think you're not a Christian? He go. Uh, the person says, um, "Because I, I still at times do things wrong." I said, "How do you feel when you do things wrong? How does that make you feel when you realize you've sinned?" Oh my gosh, it kills me. Tears me up inside. Um, sometimes I'm just bawling. I feel so bad and stuff like that. Uh, It it just is a terrible feeling. I said, I don't know. I'm not God, but I would say your response you just gave me sort sort of supports what you're saying that you're a Christian. Because if you weren't a Christian, doing those things would not bother you. But the Holy Spirit convicts you of things. I mean, remember even Paul wrote, I know what I'm supposed to do. I sometimes don't do it. You know, we, just because we're, we're Christians, because we're born again, does not mean we are perfect yet. That day's coming. That day of glorification will come, but not for a while yet. So that's the problem. But confessions of sin. There was a, a robotic saying back in the first century that I thought was really interesting. Uh, it says, what rabbis used to teach, if you, can, if you can bring but nothing else to God, bring him your tears and he will hear. I really like that. Back in, the, um, in my high school and college days, I used to travel around singing um, Christian music at churches and youth events and things like that. There was a song, I can't remember, I want to say his name was Gordon Jensen. I might be wrong on that. But there was a song that I often sang called Tears Are a Language, God Understands. There's something to Google for you. It's an old song, of course, because uh, I'm old. Um <laughs> And I sang this in, when I was in high school back when the earth was cooling. So it's, it's an old song, but has great theology to it. And um, yeah, tears are language God understands. Um, matter of fact, I came across this slide the other day, and I just had to stick this in the, the thing. I thought this was so good. This little prayer here saying, Dear Lord, I can't find the right words. Can you please just listen through my heart? And that sort of fits that robotic, uh, robotic saying of what they're saying here. I like that. That's good. Because there are times, sometimes we just can't put it into words. Sometimes I've been like that with some sin that God has convicted me of. Sometimes it's the awesomeness of God just overwhelms me. And I just, God, I can't even put it into words. Sometimes walking around here um, and through the forest and, and just seeing the handiwork of God. Or on the marine biology trip, sometimes when I would be on a coral reef, um, blowing bubbles, scuba diving. I sometimes just look at all of the things that God has created and I'm just blown away. And like, I, really I do. I sometimes pray as I'm swimming through these reefs and stuff, not just that hoping that there's no shark going to bite me or something, uh, but just the awesomeness of God. I just can't put it into words at times. Let's continue. The sixth thing, prayer must be unselfish. And for the whole of the Jewish community. Now remember, this is from the Talmud for the whole of the Jewish community, that's why it says that. Now, this is really interesting because Jews were taught. Now, this is pious, humble Jews, uh, people who are following the, the laws of God and stuff. The Jews taught, basically, that uh, prayer, praying for personal blessings is not always a good thing to do because praying for personal blessings might interfere with other people's plans Unlike us today, many of our prayers are basically shopping lists for personal blessings that we're constantly wanting God to do. Jews were preoccupied with the blessing of the entire community. They thought of the community, sort of how like Paul writes many times, and the writer of Hebrews too, that we need to be, as Christians, more concerned about the whole community, the church that we're belonging to, than just focusing on our individuality. Now, this might puzzle you as to how could praying for personal blessing interfere with others? And i got a great example today. As I was thinking this afternoon about this point, my wife is not here in camp today. Denise is not here. She went to a family reunion down in Almond, Illinois. I chose to stay here because I teach the high school and, the, and this session here, and I didn't want to miss that. And so um, her, she represented me at the family. But the thing is, I could have prayed this week, knowing this has been coming up. I could have been doing this. Lord, please give her traveling mercy. Let her have really good, blessed, sunny weather, no rain, no storms, no thunder, no lightning, um, and let that the be clear so she can get home safely. That's a personal prayer. Well, there might be somebody else between here and Almond who's a farmer, we'll just say for instance, who is, maybe his crops are not doing well, or some person with their garden, their garden's not doing well, and um, they need the rain. And so they would be praying, oh God, please give us rain to help my crops so so that I can survive with my family. You see the, the conflict here? So if God blesses me with answering my prayer, what about the other person? So the Jews wouldn't do it this way. The Jews would always focus on the community, not on the individuality. Too often today in the Christian church, we have really got away from that. And again, there's something in this with the Lord's Prayer, which we're going to come to in a moment. Prayer, number seven, should be a constant mindset for all day. This sort of sounds like Paul's uh, saying, pray without ceasing, pray all the time. Yeah, it is. This is basically the same thing going on here, that we should be in a constant mindset of prayer. Number eight, prayer should be offered in humility because God hates the proud. God hates the proud. That is found all through Scripture from the first sin with uh, Satan. He got so full of pride. He wanted to be like God. God hates um, pride. And so prayers should be offered in humility, which again, that's what Jesus was telling his disciples before he gets into the Lord's Prayer. Don't be proud. Don't be arrogant. Standing up and do it. Do it in humility. So I want to give you a quote here out of John MacArthur's commentary that I really liked having to do with this. Prayer is never an attempt to bend the will of God to my desire. Prayer is to bend my desire to fit the will of God. That's a humble statement. Pray in humility. That's what that is talking about. Now, Jesus exemplifies all of this when he's in the garden. This whole humility thing. Now remember, he is God. He is the creator God. In John's gospel, the first chapter, twice it refers to Jesus being the creator. It says nothing was created that wasn't created by him. In Colossians chapter 1, it says the same thing. He is the creator of all things. In Hebrews chapter 1, the first four verses, all things were created by him. Jesus is the creator. He's the Elohim, almighty God. And the thing is, he is Praying with humility. Notice in Matthew chapter 26, 39, when he's at the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night he's arrested, it says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's an important piece of humility. Jesus himself is submissive to the Father. So if he is, we should be also. That's what this is talking about. Um, And while he is in the garden, there were rules uh, for a humble and pious Jew, and Jesus is exactly fulfilling these. These things I've been showing you, these eight points, are from the Talmud, and Jesus actually uses these things in the Lord's Prayer. And he exemplifies this in his life also, giving us a great model, which a great teacher does. A great teacher always models what they're going to show, and Jesus does this. Now, in Luke 11, chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Then Jesus goes into this nice dialogue here that we have that we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. And it's found in Matthew chapter 6, also besides Luke 11. It's basically the same prayer. But what the difference is, um, is actually, it's some people think that that Luke is recording the same thing as Matthew. But most Bible theologians believe these are two separate events because the prior aspects of them are two different situations. So Jesus is probably teaching this lesson twice during his ministry. It appears this way anyway by looking at it. So he teaches us how to pray and how does he do this? He gives us the Lord's Prayer. And he gives us some instructions as to doing it Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases... As the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what your needs are before you ask. Isn't it interesting that many times we pray to God, like trying to inform him of what's going on in our life? (laughs) I do it too sometimes. Why do we do that? Hey God, do you know what's happening to me down here? Yes. (laughs) I planned all this. (laughs) Wow. So sometimes we sort of lose track of that. But as it says here, don't heap up empty phrases. In other words, what he is actually saying here in a way too, is don't just stand there repeating. As the Gentiles would do, the Gentiles constantly repeat it. They would have set prayers and they repeat them all the time. They keep repeating the same prayers. They'd Repeat it over and over. They go to their temples, they repeat the same thing. 20, 30, 40 times in an hour, they'll repeat the same prayer. Jesus said, don't do that kind of thing. Don't, don't use just a bunch of empty words. Pray from your heart. What's your feeling? What's really funny about the Lord's Prayer is Jesus is saying this right before he tells us the Lord's Prayer. He gives us this outline on praying, and he's saying, don't do like the Gentiles. Just don't stand there and repeat it like it means nothing. Yet today, sadly, I do believe in a lot of churches that we have today, we recite this prayer without really thinking about it. It becomes part of the liturgy of the service. And we stand here and we'll say the Lord's Prayer. And why? Because actually Jesus is saying, just don't stand here and mouth the empty words. Actually, Jesus never intended for us to actually pray that prayer because he is teaching an outline When you write a lesson on how to do something, if I have an outline, which I've made already for this lesson, I'm not teaching you the actual outline. I'm not quoting the outline. Instead, I'm quoting what I have written and what I have on my notes and stuff, and I'm giving you this information. I'm not teaching you the exact outline, telling you now, go back and repeat the same outline. The Lord's Prayer is an outline. It's never been intended for us to stand there and repeat it over and over and over. Yet, that's what we sort of do, which is what Gentiles primarily did. Sort of interesting. They believed, and the reason they did the, the Gentiles did this, they believed that you had to do this. You had to wear the gods down to get them to answer to you. Well, Jesus has told us in parables, your father in heaven is not like that. If a child asks for bread, he's not going to give him a scorpion. Your father loves you and wants what's best for you. But that's not the way the Gentiles with all their lesser gods and these idols and stuff were. That's why they did it. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Let's go to the Lord's Prayer. Let's get into this really quickly here because we've only got a few minutes left and I want to show you some fascinating things. Like I say, oh my gosh, there's so much in this. Ah! It was so hard as I was preparing even the outline. Oh, I want to put this in here. Oh, but I want to put this in here. Oh, I got to put this in here. Oh, wait, I got to put this in here. And then I'm like, I only got 35 minutes. This has got to come out. This has got to go. Oh, wait, I forgot about this one. That's going to go. So I just kept cutting and pasting this thing forever this past week. But anyway, let's take a look at the Lord's Prayer. And it's an outline to his disciples on how to pray. And most of us all have this memorized. We learned this as a kid. But here we go. Matthew nine. Or I'm sorry, six nine through thirteen. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have. Been have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's the lord's prayer. Does it seem like we're missing something? Yeah? What, what do you mean the ending? Okay, that last part: For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You know something that's not in any of the ancient manuscripts not in the ancient manuscripts, that was added centuries later. So, actually, they took it, I believe, from probably First Chronicles. There's a priestly blessing on this that some scribe put into that, and we've thrown it in there. But it actually, that's the complete Lord's Prayer, what I just read to you. Um, so, that's an interesting little thought there. But did you, as we read this, did you see those things from the Talmud I just mentioned? That they're right in this. So let's take a look at this. I'm going to show you just a couple of things because we're about out of time. This prayer, first of all, is in two components. I mean, there's so many different ways of dissecting this thing. Um, Two components. The first three parts deal with God. And the second three parts, it's three at the beginning and there's three at the end. The second three parts deal with man's needs. If you think about the prayer, if you have your Bible open or something, you're reading this thing, sit and look, you know. um, Hallowed be thy, uh, thy, uh, our Father... Shout out in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You have three things right there. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. Three things again. There's a lesson here. When we pray, you notice where the first focus goes? On God. How often do our prayers usually start off, God, I need you to do this for me we got switched around many times. We focus on God. Then you focus on man's needs. That's what Jesus is teaching. As I said, this is an outline on how to set up your prayers. Jesus never intended for us to just sit every time we pray and just quote this, just reciting it. No, that is not what this is. This is an outline to set up our prayers that we make to give to God. Um, Another feature is how the first half is set in three purposes. To honor and glorify God. We see that right at the beginning. To bring about uh, his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Salvation. And salvation will be spread throughout the whole world. And his kingdom will be added to and he will be glorified. That's it. And the third part, that God's will always be done. Even Jesus prayed that in the garden. So that's another way of looking at these first half. Um, The next feature then... Right after that is how God is glorified by three things. One way he's glorified is by giving us our daily bread. God is glorified by giving us our daily bread. We should be telling... How many of you have ever heard, I'm sure everybody has, you've heard a story about some missionary who has been in some situation that they didn't have means to be able to survive and then through God's providential care or miraculous thing, all of a sudden it just happens and God helps these people. Many famous missionaries have had many stories like that. And what happens? God gets glorified. Pardoning our sins... Pardoning our sins is a great way to glorify God. I was traveling in a car one time with a teacher I used to work with, um, and he, <laughs> we had a half-hour drive um, in this car. And as we got going down the road, he said to me, "He says, can can I ask you something personal?" I said, "Sure." He says, "I remember you telling me when you were a little kid that you were the biggest brat. You were the the absolute terror of your neighborhood. You were a bully." You robbed people's houses. You did all of this kind of stuff. Yet that's not you today. What happened? And so I got to tell my salvation experience. How God convicted me of those sins when I was in eighth grade of stealing people's toys, breaking into people's houses, stealing money. I was very good at this. My mom hated to bring me to the grocery store because I was never hungry when I came home. I ate the whole time I was there. I was stealing constantly. And foul mouth and all this. And so I got to tell him how I came across Christ at a Billy Graham crusade in Chicago. And you know what? God is glorified by that. Third thing, protecting us from temptation. God can be glorified by that also. Because we don't fall into temptation, we can live our lives more in honoring God. That's going to bring him glory. So these three acts bring glory to God. And that's what you see in this last part of this prayer. Notice that the first half obviously deals with glorifying God. The second half is dealing with man. It's really interesting how the Lord's Prayer is divided into those two sections. But notice also, I want to show you something really fascinating here. Something I talked about earlier. Notice the words in the second half where it's concentrating on the man. It says, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. There's no pronouns of I or me in this prayer. Isn't it interesting that as God is giving direction on how to pray, he's speaking about our relationship with the community. In this case, it would be the church. Now, I'm not saying it's a sin to pray for God if some you know, terrible dilemmas come. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the focus of our prayers should, I think they're too often, particularly with Americans in this country, which I'm a part of, I'm one of these two, we often, too, too much often, focus selfishly on ourselves when we pray. Summer staff, what would this be like the rest of this week and the rest of this summer if we really, truly stopped using those pronouns of I and me and we focused on us? What would that be for campers? How would that impact them? How would that change our lives? What kind of witness? How would that glorify God? It's amazing what God can do with stuff like that. I want to show you a caution, too, in this passage. I think, personally, I think the Lord's Prayer is one of the scariest things in the world. In all honesty, when I'm at a church service or someplace and they have us all stand and we recite this, sometimes I just stand there, to be totally honest, I'm just sort of silent. I'll say the first half of it, no problem. But I get a little cautious about the last part. Why? Because what's in verse 12 where it says, Forgive us our debts or our sins as we also have forgiven our debtors. You know what that is saying? God, forgive me of my sins against you in the same manner that I forgive people when they sin against me. Do I really want God to forgive me that way? It scares me to death. I rely much more on His grace than what my grace is. That is a scary statement. I don't care any way you look at it, that's a scary statement. I know when I taught school years ago, um, one year I had a brand new student, brand new to the school, was coming into my, my classroom. I was teaching microbiology. I'm standing at the doorway on the first day of school and the students are coming in. I'm greeting them at the doorway and they're going in and I had a lot of students that I'd already taught like human and nat and other subjects too and they're going in there and I'm standing at the door, and there wasn't a whole lot of traffic now coming in here. Most of the students were in there. But I overheard a conversation back over, like, uh, very near my desk. I could hear from, from my uh, standing at the, at the door. And it was this brand-new student who came into the room and was talking to one of my students that I know very well. And I heard them, the new student ask Becca. Becca was a student who I knew uh, many years. And asked Becca, Becca, what kind of teacher is this Mr. Lane? And I thought, ooh, my ears picked up. I wanted to hear, sort of leaned a little bit more over to hear this conversation. And Becca says, um, well, first of all, um, he likes to have students be his friends. So because of that, he goes by Michael. If you want to call him Mr. Lane, that's fine. But if you want to be his friend, he prefers his friends call him Michael. So you can do that. And I was like, okay, yeah. And what's he like? What's it like in here? You will have to work for your grade. Um, He does not give out A's. You have to earn them. But he will do everything he can to help you to be able to learn. Okay. But then, so I'm sitting here. Okay. That sounds good. That sounds good. But then this question came up. What's he like? And for some reason, Becca said this to her. You're probably going to break something in here. The microbiology lab, you're probably going to break something. Um, or you're going to do something really wrong. You're going to knock over a culture, a bacteria. You're going to do something. And she says, if you do something wrong, go immediately up to Michael, tell him what you did, and ask his forgiveness. Because he's the most gracious person you'll ever come across if you confess it right away. If he has to hunt you down, he's merciless. (laughs) 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 So... (laughs) So I'm a, little, I'm a little cautious about this part of the verse. <laughs> but anyway, it's just it's, it's a scary part of this thing. Now, do you really want God to forgive you of your sins the way that you forgive when somebody does something wrong to you? I mean, really, think about that. Might make you want to second guess reading the last part of that prayer. First part, you don't have a problem with. I want to end here because we're out of time. I'm going to end with just five little comments There are so much more, I wish I could tell you. But I'm going to end with five little comments here, just to wrap it up. Concluding remarks about prayer. Some Michael's five thoughts on prayer. First of all, prayer should not be the last resort when things go wrong in our lives. Uh, There's an ancient Jewish saying, before misfortune comes, anticipate and pray. And if we are doing as Paul suggests and orders us and commands us through the Holy Spirit to pray without ceasing... We shouldn't be like that. We should always be praying. Anticipate and pray. My dad was a Navy SEAL. He was always, his favorite saying was, one of his favorite sayings, was always expect the unexpected. And that's just one of the mottos I grew up with. Always expect the unexpected. And so um, this is a great thing to think about. Don't wait for disasters to come. Be constantly in prayer all the time. Second, talk to God when you study your Bible. Last week, I showed you how to do a Bible study. When you're doing the Bible study, talk to God. The Holy Spirit, as it says in 1 Corinthians 2, wants to teach you stuff. Ask him. Go into the Bible studies I said last week. Okay, Holy Spirit, what are you going to teach me in this? Show me something that I can apply to my life. Teach me something new I didn't know. And talk to him through the thing. When you ask the who, why, who what, when, where, why, and how questions as you're doing the reading of the paragraph or the passage, ask questions of him. He's right there with you. Third, be in the mindset that the Holy Spirit is with you all the time. When you get up in the morning, he's there. When you're sleeping, he's there. When you get up in the middle of the night to go tinkle, he's there. Not just when you're sitting down to have a meal. When you're working. When you're doing anything. Riding in a car. Sitting alone. He's always there. Be in this mindset and talk to him. You don't have to do it orally all the time. Some people might have you arrested that way if you're sitting and talking to yourself. Well, how do you think the day's going? Hmm? Hmm? Oh, yeah, really? You know, it could be a little strange. But talk to him throughout the day as you would, like your best friend is with you the whole time because really he is. Fourth, if you think prayer is for you, you've totally missed the point of prayer. The whole first part. Of the Lord's prayer in this outline is glorifying God. Even the second part is glorifying God. It's not asking God to be your personal shopper, giving him a shopping list. That is not prayer, and that is not humble. So, prayer is not for you. We pray for the glory of God. And the fifth part I was reading earlier this summer. Um, from uh, the British medical doctor and minister, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. He died back around 1980 or 81 or something like that. Um, He was not just a doctor. He was a a minister, uh, British man, very brilliant, great theologian. And he wrote this, Man is at his greatest and highest when upon his knees he comes face to face with God. There is so much more I wish I could tell you about prayer. And we have just skimmed the surface of it. A great Bible study? Do a Bible study on the Lord's Prayer. That paragraph, it'll knock your socks off with all you're going to see in there. It's amazing. I'll close in prayer, then I'll put up the questions here. And that'll be it for the night. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time we have here. Lord, I pray that you gain glory from this. That your Holy Spirit convict us and draw us closer to you. That, Lord, it changes our lives so that your kingdom can be added to. Lord, that we can go around and be a breath of sunshine and light for someone. That they see a reflection of Jesus in us tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, all this week. I pray for the summer staff, that, Lord, they would be able to do this. And they focus upon you. That all of us in here focus upon you as being our best friend with us all of the time. Lord, I pray that you help us to glorify you and to seek what your will is. Your guidance for all of us. Fort Wilderness is not one person. It's a family. We're all here together. Maybe some campers will confide in some of the summer staff. Some of you will hear something in prayer Uh, a, a camper asking you for prayer gives you an opportunity to be involved in the ministry, to help others. Help us not, the Lord, to focus upon ourselves. But yes, to bring you glory. And we ask this, to glorify your Son. Amen.